Good morning, everyone. I think we lost a tiny bit of very important information in the announcements, and that was that we don't have 50 kids. We have 250 kids coming to HBC. So that's, yeah, that's incredible, and we're excited about that. Um, I'm also excited about the fact that we don't need to wear masks here anymore. And um, just thinking about COVID, I'm sure every single one of us can remember what it was like when COVID first started. I know for us, our lives were just at such an insane pace. And so when everything stopped, all social engagement stopped, all meetings stopped, it just felt like somebody slammed on the brakes. And it took us a while to adapt to that, right? I mean, I know we went from meetings most nights of the week to meetings no nights of the week. All right, we went from multiple social and ministry engagements to zero social and ministry engagements. We went from seeing our family fairly regularly to seeing one another every day, but no one else beyond that. Just really being forced to operate at a very different pace. Now, that was well over two years ago, and things have been changing, thankfully, in the last year or so especially. And what's been happening is, is the pace has been picking up and continuing to pick up and been picking up some more and continuing to pick up some more. Where we're back at the point, I don't know about you, but when someone says, hey, Steve, how's it going? I'm like, life is crazy busy at the moment. All right, we're back to that point where we've got meetings and we've got engagements and and we've got ministry. And as my one mentor used to say, problems of life versus problems of death. But man, oh man, life is busy for us. And I'm pretty sure it's the same for you. It's something in me so grateful for that. But something else in me just looks back at those moments where we had a lot more margin in our lives. And I just wish I could retain some of that. And you know what? God desires exactly the same thing for us. I don't think that uh, the worship leaders knew what I was going to be speaking about, but that last song that we sung today is exactly what today's message is about. How we can make room intentionally in our lives for God to move and for God to do what he needs to do. But we need to plan it. We need to be intentional about that. For those of you who haven't been with us, we've been working week by week, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Exodus. Today is our second last series uh, sermon and next week is our final one. And it's going to be a goodie. I'm really looking forward to that one. But I mentioned when we spoke through the Ten Commandments a number of weeks ago, that when we got to the fourth commandment, the commandments about the Sabbath, that I just don't have time on that day to kind of give it an appropriate amount of attention and that we were going to come back to that. And so today we're going to be deep diving the idea of making room for God, aka the Sabbath. And if you read through the book of Exodus, the Sabbath comes up a lot. If you read through the book of Leviticus, it comes through a lot. If you read through the prophets, it comes through a lot. It was a raging debate at the time of Jesus, and he was pulled into the debates around the Sabbath. 
And I know that maybe for some of you, you're kind of familiar with the word. Maybe some of you know that it's, it's maybe a Jewish word, or if you've got some Jewish friends, they would talk about Shabbat on a Friday night and a Saturday. Maybe some of you know that it's kind of, you know, a quasi-Christian religious word. Outside of that, we don't really use the word. And so does it have any relevance for me? And I want to show you today that it has insane levels of um, application for your life. And so journey with me. We're going to go backwards a few chapters to Exodus 20, where this really comes up properly for the first time. And it's the fourth commandment, and we're going to be reading from Exodus 20, verse 8, and allow this to launch us into a greater discussion around the Sabbath. All right, so God, through Moses, is saying, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Just by the way, the word Sabbath, as I mentioned earlier, is the Hebrew word Shabbat. All right, and some people still call it Shabbat. And what that word means is to cease or to stop. It literally means to stop doing. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat or a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So there's two sides to the coin. The one is to cease working and the other one is to recognize it as a day unto the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, not only for those who are the farmers and the business owners and the ones who can afford to take time off, but everybody, neither knew you, your son or daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien or the immigrants within your gates. And we're going to go read the next verse in a second here. But what we're starting to see here is this rhythm of six days on, one day off, which brings us to the idea of a week that you and I are so familiar with. And when our kids are learning to speak, it's one of the first things they learn to do after counting to 10. They learn Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But have you ever wondered where this idea of a week comes from? Now you need to remember these verses were written down about three and a half thousand years ago. And where you and I assume this thing called a week, back then it was a fairly new idea. It can be shown that there were other cultures who used some sort of a concept of a seven-day cycle because part of it is connected to the 28-day lunar cycle. And while the Babylonians might have occasionally referenced a seven-day rhythm, it was the Jewish culture as a result of what God was saying here that started to implement it as the regular rhythm around which their entire lives were formed. But not only did the week concept start here, but the weekend concept started here. All right, most of us, we work Monday to Friday, and in the back of our minds, we're counting down to Friday, right? Where we can, Shabbat, we can stop working on a Friday afternoon, and we can start resting and enjoying our weekend, but it started here. Three and a half thousand years ago, this idea of regularly instituting a day where we cease from working, cease from producing a day unto the Lord, that was revolutionary. We just assume that. 
But somehow this verse written so long ago within a migrant's culture, they never even had their own country back at this stage has so informed how we think about our time, how we think about our weeks, and how we orientate our lives, which is pretty amazing in its own right. So now in verse 11, we're going to see some of the the why behind the reason why we do this. For in... Sorry, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested... On the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God is saying, listen, I know you need to work. I know you've got bills to pay and I know you've got mouths to feed. And so you are going to be working, but then I need you to stop. I need you to set aside some time that is unto me. Why? Because of who I am. This is connected to who God is how God works, how God operates, specifically here connected to his work of creation. And so here we're going to go down an incredible rabbit hole. And so I'm going to get excited and I really hope that you come with me. And I'm pretty much going to guarantee you probably won't remember anything I'm about to say, but I hope that something in your heart goes, wow. All right, so let's practice. We're going to practice now going, wow, wow. Okay, so I'll tell you when to say it. All right, so Moses goes, okay, let's look at the creation story. And we've got this rhythm that's been established both in Genesis 1 as well as Exodus 20. This rhythm of 6 plus 1 equals 7. A number of weeks ago, I mentioned that the biblical number of 7 The way that it is used is way beyond the level of coincidence. Rather, it is very intentionally used. The literary structure around this number is intentionally designed to communicate something very interesting and very powerful around this number seven. All right, so I want to show you how the number seven or multiples of seven are intentionally used by the biblical authors to blow our minds. And so starting right on page one, the first sentence of the Bible, do you know that the first sentence, Genesis 1 verses 1, has seven words in Hebrew, of course, with 28 letters, four times seven. That's just verse one. Wow! Wow! There's more. Genesis 1 verses 2 contains 14 Hebrew words. Then starting in verse 3 begins the pattern of seven days. Then we've got seven paragraphs in the seven days. Then in the concluding, the conclusion of the seventh day, we've got three lines. Each line has seven words each in Hebrew. Each of the words in Genesis 1, the key words, are repeated in multiples of seven throughout the rest of the story. The word God appears 35 times, seven times five. The word land appears seven times three, 21 times. The skies with the heavens appear seven times three, 21 times. The phrase light and day appears seven times within day one. The word light appears seven times within day four. The word living creature appears seven times within days five and six. The phrase and God saw that it was good appeared seven times. And that's just Genesis 1. You guys are amazing. 
Is there one of those boards where it comes up behind you? Ooh, ah. I want to give you a snapshot, really just a snapshot of of some of the others in the rest of Scripture. Moses, early on in Exodus, he waits for six days before going up into God's presence on the seventh day. Manna is provided on the seventh day. In Exodus, there's the seven speeches of God. And then there are the seven acts of Moses obeying God's seven speeches. Seven days of preparation for the priests, seven items in the tabernacle, seven items to be worn by the priests, the seven candle lampstand. Then there are these verses in Exodus 20, which are expressed in seven statements in Hebrew. Naaman had to dip seven times before he was healed. The genealogy opening in Matthew chapter 3 is three, sorry, Matthew 1 is three sets of 14, three sets of seven times two. There are the seven signs in John. The seven appearances of angels in Jesus' life, the seven seals, the seven trumpets. Are you getting the idea? Wow. But seriously, this is no accident. I'm hoping that you're starting to become convinced that the number seven is connected with the idea of God's completeness, God's fullness, and there's even more significance in all of that. So in Exodus 20, Moses is connecting Sabbath with creation, and so we're going to continue down that rabbit hole. If we go to the opening chapters in Genesis, it talks about God creating in days one through to day six, and then it says this, on the seventh day, in most of our translations, it says he rested. In Hebrew, it says he Sabbathed, or he Shabbated. I don't know if that's a word that we can use, but we're going to use it today. In other words, he ceased his creation work. Now, does that mean that for the first six days, God is working a 16-hour day without a nap, and then he gets to day seven, and he puts up his feet on the couch and sits on his phone all day? What is going on here? And so what we need to do is we need to keep this link alive between Exodus 20 and the opening chapter of Genesis. For those of us who are going through the Bible read module, one of the ways that I believe the scriptures are to be read is exactly what we're going to do here. We read, oh, Exodus 20, taking us back to creation. We go and read the creation story. We go, ooh, wow, that's amazing. We go back to Exodus 20. We learn some new things now because of what we learned earlier. Oh, that changes how I read Genesis 1 and 2, and so on and so forth. We're supposed to be going back to scripture all the time. But there's something incredible going on here. I want to read again now Genesis verse 11. Sorry, Exodus 20 verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Now that's a parallel to what we read earlier where he said he rested on the seventh day. That was the word he Sabbathed. So maybe you and I are expecting that this word is his Sabbathing on the seventh day, but it's a different word. And so this concept is going to grow here. The word here, once again, a wonderful Hebrew word to help you clear your throats, is the word noach. Noach. It is the word after which Noah is named. Noah's name in Hebrew is noach, all right, not Noah. 
And so we are connecting these ideas of, of Shabbat or Sabbath and Noah all under this idea of resting. And there are some differences in here. You see, Shabbat means to stop. I'm working, I'm striving, and then I stop working, I stop striving. Noah means to start experiencing rest and rejuvenation. So I can only Noah once I've Shabbated, right? I can only rest and be rejuvenated once I've stopped. So going back to our work week, we get to, for most of us, four o'clock on a Friday afternoon and we Shabbat, we stop. But then we go home and we put up our feet and we start resting, we start rejuvenating and that is this idea of Noah. Now, I wish I had more time to spell the next part out for you, but you're going to have to trust me on this because thankfully I want to keep my sermon under an hour today, um, but you can always come and get the verses from me afterwards. But the word Noah is used when King David, it says that after King David had defeated all of his enemies, he went and resided in his palace and the Lord gave him Noah. Now that doesn't mean he was on his phone all day. But it means he had ceased just the upward battle of fighting his enemies. That part came to an end. Then he was able to continue his role in peaceful times, in times of contentment, perform his function as king in his palace. And this is the word for Noah. The same idea is connected to God in Psalm 132, where God says, I have chosen Zion to be my dwelling my resting place. It is the word closely connected to this word Noah. Once again, does that mean God is doing nothing? No. What is developing here, especially in this verse, is that this word Noah not only means to chill and do nothing, but we've got this idea of God's presence coming into Zion. God's presence dwelling here the reality of God's presence being amongst us and God reigning and ruling from this place without strife and without concern. And so as we connect these two ideas together, together with this concept of seven, all wrapped up into one is this idea of rest, rejuvenation, God's presence, God's kingdom, ceasing from striving and just enjoying God's creation and God's presence. Now let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. This had, as I said earlier, had become a raging debate. Now one of the many reasons why Israel was sent into exile was, yes, because of the idolatry, yes, because of their injustice, but it was also because they failed to observe the Sabbath according to these commands. And so what happened was when they were back in Israel, we've got a group like the Pharisees who are now so afraid to break the Sabbath law that they created a whole bunch of other laws around the Sabbath law. So we had to kind of get through these laws first before we broke that law. And then they took their eyes off the Sabbath law and it all became about these other laws. And that was where the debate was. How far can you walk on the Sabbath? What can you and what can you not do on the Sabbath? And so, for example, 
Jesus heals a guy a number of times on the Sabbath. I think he did that on purpose to start a fight. And these guys were like, yo, whatever, God did a thing, but you worked on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, guys, you've missed the point. The way he puts it is this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, I want to talk about the second part of this verse first, where he talks about himself as the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath. Remember in Exodus 20, what did we have to do? Two things. Number one, cease from working. Number two, sets it apart as a day unto the Lord, unto Yahweh. Some people complain, yeah, Jesus never claimed, I am God. Well, while he never says the words, I am God, I want to show you how Jesus in so many wonderful, very Jewish ways did claim to be God, and this is one of them. By him saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I am Exodus 20. I am that Lord, the Sabbath day is unto me. That's a Jewish way of saying that I am God. But there's more. By Jesus saying the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, the point is not have all of these rules. Let's have rules around the rules and more rules around the rules and let's observe those rules and maybe if we do that, we won't tick God off. Jesus is saying, listen, if we understand this rightly and if the Sabbath is about a gift to rest, a gift to enjoy God's presence. A gift to Shabbat and a gift to Noah. A gift to enjoy the kingdom of God. A gift to reorientate ourselves. Then that's the point. Not the outward realities of it. And so here's where I want to try and make it a little bit more relevant to our particular lives. And so number one, I want to show you that Sabbath is about lordship. From days one to five or days one to six in our weeks, we tend to kind of operate. We, we're working, we're striving, we're doing these things. We've got mouths to feed, bills to pay. And whether you enjoy your job or not, we're tempted to believe that my life is as a direct consequence of the work of my hands and my hands alone. And yes, there is a stewardship story inside of this idea. God wants us to be faithful with the opportunities He's given us. But we take it way beyond that, where we start to believe, I am Lord of my life. And so what Sabbath does for us, it's a weekly rhythm that intentionally reorientates the position of Lordship back into my life where I start to realize, wow, I'm so grateful for what God has given me through the work of my hands. However, that doesn't mean I'm Lord. He is Lord. I look up to Him and I recognize that He is the one sitting on the throne. And that humbles me. Number two, which flows out of this one, Sabbath is about worship. During the week, I'm tempted to orientate my life around my work. That is what the definition of idolatry is. 
when something is at the center of my life other than God. Or I'm tempted to orientate my life around money or the lack of money or the desire for money. Or I'm tempted to orientate my life around contentment and the things of this world. And as a gift from God, none of those things are wrong except when they become the object of my worship. And what Sabbath does is, guys, I have that tendency in my heart as well. And so on this weekly basis, I am forcing myself to stop. I am forcing myself to look at the one who is Lord, the one who is seated on the throne, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is responsible for Genesis 1 and 2. And the only right response to that is worship. And so I choose to worship God. Number three, Sabbath is about presence. You know, you can perform the outward realities of, of Sabbath. And for us, for most of us, you know, we can, we can go to church and we can make sure we're there on time and we can do all the right things and we can still miss out on all of this. We can rock up here and there's this body that's moving around, this hall on a Sunday morning, and yet we still miss out on the Lordship of Jesus. We still miss out on worshiping Him as King. And we can still miss out on His presence. And if the biblical authors are wanting us to contain in this idea of Sabbath, this idea of the presence of God. That, by the way, was why uh, days one to six, Moses was waiting on the mountain. And then on the seventh day, God's presence came down. It is why when it comes to the seven speeches of God in Exodus, it is the seventh speech that is about Sabbath. And so the question is, if this idea is God coming in as king, God's presence being made available to us, the question before you is, are you going to respond to that presence? Are you going to make God's presence a priority for you? On Sabbath. Number four, Sabbath is about rest. And we've already spoken about how rest is partly ceasing from working and being productive. Now, because of the way our country works, we have weekends. And so for many of us, we stop working on the weekend and we're like, cool, I'm Sabbathing. No, you're only stopping to work. That's half of the story. The other story is to make it a day unto the Lord. This is why Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That word rest is the Greek word for the word noach. I am the one in whom you are going to truly find rest for your hearts. In this restless world of striving, the only place that you're going to find peace of heart is in me. This is hard. To take your hand off the wheel on a Sunday, especially these days with Wi-Fi and our laptops are right there to cease working. To trust that what God wants for me more today is to rest. To trust that He's got this. That's not easy but it's what God wants for us. 
Number five, Sabbath is about identity. For many of us, we find our identity in our performance and in our work. And so if I'm doing well at work and if I love my job and if I'm getting paid well, I'm tempted to believe that I am awesome because I'm getting paid well or I'm doing well or I'm performing well. Or when we lose the contract or we have a bad meeting or we lose our job, not only are we a little bit down, but it's as if someone has taken my identity out of my heart. And that temptation is there for every single one of us. And what Sabbath is saying is, yes, work hard. Yes, work well. Yes, work through those tough seasons. Yes, work through those disappointments. But please don't find your identity in how well you do or how poorly you do. Find your identity in Christ alone. Because in Christ, you'll experience all the love you need all the affirmation you need, all the identity that allows you to stand with confidence every single day despite your performance at work. So you've spoken about Sabbath is about this, Sabbath is about that, Sabbath is about this. Number six, Sabbath is not about the day. If we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus observed the Sabbath starting Friday evening, going into Saturday and ending on Saturday evening. So just a way of conceptualizing, I don't work to rest, but I rest to work. All right, and we see Jesus observed the Sabbath on the Saturday. We see the early disciples for the most part observed the Sabbath on the Saturday, but at some point soon after that, all Christians everywhere We're observing this day on Sunday, the day of God's resurrection in Christ. And it possibly can be shown, there's a bit of debate about it, but the verse you want to look at is 1 Corinthians 16 verses 2, that there may even be evidence in the scriptures where Christians started worshiping on a Sunday. But this really troubles some people where they're saying, if we are to be biblical, then what you and I are doing today is wrong because we need to be worshiping on a Saturday. Some would even go as far as to say, for you and I worshiping here on a Sunday, that is the mark of the beasts. Now, not only, I think, is that missing the whole point of everything we've been talking about up to now, but the scripture states so clearly Romans 14, verses five to six. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Colossians 2, 16, 17 says the same thing. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regards to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. So if you want to worship on a Sunday, go for it. If you want to worship on a Saturday, go for it. Just we're not going to be here. We're doing it on a Sunday. It works for most of us. All right, but we're not going to judge anyone worshiping on a Tuesday. But that should go both ways. 
For someone who worships on a Saturday should not be judging us who worship on a Sunday. And there's more to this. If we continue in Colossians 2, it says here, these things, the idea of a Sabbath is a shadow of the things that were to come. The point wasn't the day. The point of the day was to get us to think about the nature of God and how God works and what He wants for us. The reality of the day, it says here in this verse, is found in Christ. Christ is the point of Sabbath. The point is, all of those things that you and I went wow to, we are to import all of that into Christ. In other words, where do I find my rest? In Christ. Where do I find my peace? In Christ. Where do I find my identity? In Christ. Where do I cease from striving and feeling like I need to earn favor with the world around me? I find it in Christ. Where do I enjoy the presence and the blessing of God? In Christ. Where do I see the kingship and the kingdom of God? In Christ. Christ is the point. Which allows us, as we start wrapping up and going to the communion table, allows us to take this even one step further. Listen to Hebrews 4 verses 9 to 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. And in the context of Hebrews, it's not just talking about your job. It's the striving of working and toiling to somehow please God and hope that he loves me as a response. Rather, this frees me up. They let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. What Hebrews is saying is not only should we think about one day a week where we can experience this peace, this blessing, this rest, this, this freedom from striving, the presence of God, the kingdom and the, and the lordship of God. Not only am I thinking about that on a Sunday, but this now becomes a lifestyle, a lifestyle of living in the rest of God. And even while I'm in the mill at work and there's people waiting for me to do things and to perform, I can do that from a place of rest. I can do that from a place of freedom. I can do that from a place of being freed from finding my identity in that work. Every single day of the week, I can experience God's kingship, God's presence, and God's kingdom. And that is the point of Sabbath. The idea that came to me yesterday was that Sabbath is an oasis of grace. Doesn't the world just feel like a harsh place? And not only the world, but the way my body and mind enslaves me. And God is inviting me not to legalistically stick to a calendar, but to enter his rest to experience the nourishing and the freedom and the grace that He alone can give for my heart. I want to end with this quote by Mark Buchanan. He says, The Sabbath is both a day and an attitude. 
Setting apart an entire day, one out of seven, for feasting and resting and worship and play is a gift and not a burden. And neglecting the gift too long will make your soul like soil never left fallow, hard and dry and spent. Sound familiar? But when I say Sabbath, I also mean an attitude. It is a perspective and orientation. I mean a Sabbath heart, not just a Sabbath day. A Sabbath heart is restful, even in the midst of unrest and upheaval. Don't we need that? It is attentive to the presence of God and others, even in the welter of much coming and going, rising and falling. You will never enter the Sabbath day without the Sabbath heart. And as we come to the Lord's table, where we are together going to recognize what Christ did for us on the cross, His blood shed for us. His body broken for us, signified by the juice and the bread that we're going to take. The reason why you and I can access such grace and such peace and some rest, such rest, is because of the work Jesus did on the cross. When he died, he finished with these words, it is finished. He did it. He worked. He saved us. He did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And then he offers us his peace, his grace, his rests. And so as we come to the table, I want to encourage you, don't just hoist some juice down your throat and chomp on something. Let's strive to enter the rest of God. Let's recognize what Jesus did for us. And let's receive. As much as I'm receiving food and drink, let's receive the rest of God. Let's pray in your own time. Please, once you come up, take some juice, take some bread, go and sit down. We're gonna have some music playing gently. And then let's just enjoy the presence of God together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives and you are calling us to, on a weekly basis, prioritize your presence, your kingship, your lordship. But beyond that, you're calling us to a lifestyle of being rested in you, of being freed from the relentless pursuit of our jobs living in the city that we do. God, you can give a peace that is far greater than the peace of this world. And one of the places we come is to the cross where you ceased working. You said it is finished and you give us grace. Father, I pray that this would be so much more than an idea in the mind as we come and take communion this morning. Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts. Let there be a a transaction of grace, a transaction of peace. Let us take communion together.